aboard the dragon the orbital zombie dragon fastest pirate vessel in the galaxy settling down into low earth orbit this is your captain Richard Boomzilla Pippin in the transmission room About to give you another weekly transmission where we talk about all things sci-fi, horror, and fantasy, particular from a story writing standpoint. But this is, of course, as we mentioned before, Horror Month. Now, I know, <laughs> I know, I said I was going to do an episode on Sunday and then do a special episode on Halloween. It is Halloween now. Happy Halloween, everybody! <laughs> all you Earthlings <laughs> and. Uh, I just decided instead I was going to combine the two episodes. So this might be a really long episode. I'm going to be talking to you a lot. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you until you can't stand it anymore. And then I'm going to talk to you a little more. <laughs> I don't know. It may be an hour. It may be a little longer because I'm going to include the Halloween at the end after I'm done with everything else. I'm going to do the Halloween episode where I talk about the best or what I consider some of the best movies in horror from October of last year to October of this year. So we get a full year of content there. And I've picked out five movies that if you haven't seen yet, I really think you should see them. So, like I said, combined theme, but the original theme for the Sunday episode, which I'm doing today, was vampires. So, as always, I like to talk about, in, in, particularly in horror, when there's a particular subject that is uh, uh, that just comes back over and over again, like vampires. I mean, vampire stories have been around pretty much as long as, almost as long as horror fiction and the mythology goes back even further than that, of course. So what is it about vampires that scares, it, scares us? What is it about vampires that kind of captivates our imagination, so to speak? So... A lot of people, when you talk about vampires, they love to talk about the uh, the kind of uh, sexual aspect, I guess. You know, I'm going to adjust here a second. I'm sorry if there's some noise, but shouldn't be. Okay. There we go. They like to talk about the uh, sexual aspect, but that is not... That's that's eh, That's been done. That's tired. Uh, I'm not going to be talking about that aspect today. What I'm going to talk about is that the... the the essence of the vampire, what it is, and and kind of what it is about it that scares us. And to start it off, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite authors, William S. Burroughs. Now, you may know William S. Burroughs. There was a movie they did based on one of his books called Naked Lunch that had Peter Weller in it. That was, I don't know, that was back in the late 80s, I believe. Something like that. Although the movie, <clears throat> I mean... I don't know how you take any book by William S. Burroughs and turn it into a movie. So, of course, it doesn't do it justice. In fact, the whole movie is kind of based on just like one little portion of the book. But William S. Burroughs had, uh, I still remember this from my college days, 
had an interesting quote about vampires, and I'm going to read it to you now. So I apologize if I, if I sound like I'm reading. I normally don't have a lot of notes on this show, but I could. I wanted to remember the exact quote because I love William Burroughs so much. So I actually have the entire quote here. I'm going to read it to you now. Take a little, leave a little. But they always take more than they leave by the basic nature of the vampire process of inconspicuous but inexorable consumption. The vampire converts quality, live, blood, vitality, youth, and talent into quantity, food, and time for himself. He perpetrates the most basic betrayal of the spirit, reducing all human dreams to his shit. Sorry about the cursing. And that's the wrongest wrong a man can be. So that is kind of the theme of the vampire is they may look like us. They may even you know talk like us or seem to have emotions like us, but they are not us. They are our predators and they basically use us. I mean, every, you know, use us to live another day. A vampire, you know, takes a life, takes everything that you are, everything you hope to be just to be able to live another day. You are food to him. Uh, basically. And of course, this is kind of a metaphor for, uh, you know, in real life, the users in life, people that use and abuse you, the negative people who kind of suck the life and energy out of you (laughs) that you should avoid. I always believe you should surround yourself with positive people. So a vampire in this metaphor could be anybody that's just kind of a negative person that just kind of drains you, kind of sucks that energy out of you Tries to tell you, uh, some people like the modern term, I guess the kids love to say is haters. Kind of try to take the wind out of your sails. Like, oh, you, oh, who do you think you are? How do you, how do you, how do you think you're going to make it like that? And they just kind of suck the, the energy away from you. And you need to ditch those people, just like you need to ditch vampires, even if it takes a stake through the heart. <laughs> so that's the main theme I'm going to talk about in vampire films today is is kind of this aspect where they don't they're not human they may look human they may act human or try to act human but they are not and ultimately they will use you up and chew you up and spit you out sort of uh vampire characters so i picked out three films to talk about that kind of are good examples of this and one of them's uh, very new some of them are a little bit older So I picked out Let Me In, which is actually a remake of an older Swedish film, I think, called Let the Right One In, and uh, 30 Days of Night, and also a newer one called Family Blood, which is out on Netflix right now if you want to check it out. But I'm going to get into that. So uh, jumping right in, Let Me In is a 2010 film, like I said, based on an older uh, foreign film called Let the Right One In. I've seen both of them. I, I, I mean, they're, they're similar enough. I kind of remember details about the older one when I watched it, but it was a couple of years ago. They're very similar. I would say that the, uh, the American, the English language version of it, uh, uh, watered down certain aspects of it, but it's still pretty much the complete story. It's not like you have to go see the old one to go, oh, that's what they really meant to do. They pretty much did the same story, the same theme. It's just some of the things, <laughs> I guess you can say that, that 
that Americans kind of have hangups about uh, that were included in that foreign film kind of got mm, trimmed down in the uh, the American version of the films so as not to offend anyone's sensibilities. <laughs> but this one is starring uh, Cody Smith McPhee as Owen, the little boy in this film. And uh, he was recently in that movie Alpha, which I haven't, I didn't review because I wasn't doing it the podcast at the time, but I did go see it. Alpha's kind of, yeah, it's not that great. He was also in Deadpool 2 and X-Men Apocalypse uh, as the Kurt Wagner Nightcrawler character, which I think he's a good fit for. You have Chloe Grace Moretz in this as Abby, the little vampire girl in this film. We're going to go over the setup in a little bit. And she was recently in the Suspiria remake and also the the Fifth Wave. And she's been in a bunch of other stuff, but that's just a couple of genre things for you from recently. And you have Elias Coteus. I hope I'm getting that name right. Uh, you've probably seen him in a lot of movies as a policeman, and he is a policeman <laughs> in this uh, movie. And a lot of TV shows, he was. He, I guess he's just that sort of character actor. People pick him a lot for these uh, to play a policeman or a detective, and that's what he is in this film. <laughs> he's really good in this also, and uh, he was recently in The Dream House, another good horror film. And you want to go way back? He was in The Prophecy with Christopher Walken. So, uh, well-known actor. Uh, you're going to recognize him when you see him. He's been on a ton of stuff. Also, you will recognize a bunch of others, like Richard Jenkins, who was like in Six Feet Under and a bunch of other stuff. And Cara Buono. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to murder that name, even though it's a simple one. Buono? Buono? <laughs> but uh, you're going to know her recently from Stranger Things on Netflix as uh, Mrs. Wheeler. Uh I wanted to mention them because they're such great actors, but most of the adults in this story are actually kind of secondary to the story. The policeman, even though he isn't even a named character in 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 the the script or whatever, is a more a more prominent character in the story than the other adults are. In fact, in most of the scenes, the adults' faces are kind of blurred out, and it kind of emphasizes that they're. They're kind of second, not 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 that they're not important to the story. They're just kind of secondary to the story of what's going on between Owen and Abby, and uh, a little bit more so with this police officer that's investigating what's going on. So, <laughs> basically, to set up the story is Abby is this little vampire girl. She has this uh, older gentleman that's traveling with her. It's kind of her assistant slash servant, <laughs> whatever. And they've just moved in next to this little boy named Owen, who is kind of an outsider himself, picked on and bullied in school, uh, kind of small, frail, sort of little guy, you know. And <clears throat> so anyway, Abby moves in next to him. Of course, he's interested. Uh, Owen's this character who doesn't really, has a lot of social anxiety, of course, because of the bullying, doesn't interact with a lot of people. So he occupies his time a lot in his apartment complex kind of spying on other people through his uh, little telescope. <laughs> so, uh, of course, when Abby moves in, he gets very interested. He assumes that the older gentleman with her is her father, which he isn't. And um, there's, um, I'm going to go into this later in the writing tips, too. There's a bit of foreshadowing in here. And this one's kind of overt in your face foreshadowing. When he first meets Abby in the courtyard of the apartment complex, uh, he's he's trying to make friends with her, and she knows he's trying to make friends with her. 
And she makes the statement, like, we can't be friends. Because she knows what happened. She's a vampire. She's been a vampire for a long time. As she puts it later on, I'm 12, but I've been 12 for a very long time. So <laughs> this story is mostly about the interaction between Owen and Abby. Somewhat about her and her servant person, uh, played by uh, Richard uh, Jenkins. And, uh, the, and of course, the police investigating, like I said before, but it's it's really a, a lot about what it means to be a vampire's friend, if that's even possible to be a vampire's friend. Uh, it's highly possible to be their servant. So it's kind of about what what that is like, to, how to be a vampire's friend slash servant <laughs> fetcher of blood, fetcher of the groceries, so to speak. And it kind of goes with this theme of how vampires use you up and spit you out. That's just what they do. And you also see uh, the more subtle foreshadowing is through the interaction she has with the Richard Jenkins character, her current you know servant. You kind of see, even though the film doesn't go that far in the timeline, you kind of see what lies in Owen's future if he does ultimately become friends with Abby. That eventually. He will outlive his usefulness, get old and and sloppy and everything. And eventually she will replace him too, just like she's replacing her current servant with Owen. <laughs> so that's just the vampire. They use you up until you're no use no longer useful. Uh they're ready to discard you and get a new one as soon as you outlive your usefulness. But uh on the other hand, you kind of see it with Abby, there is a sadness and a loneliness to that. She actually really liked this older man who was probably a young boy like Owen at one time. But yet now she has reached this point where she has to let him go. So you see the sadness there, too. She's not a total heartless vampire, I guess, even though she does what is necessary to survive, just as a vampire would do. <laughs> but uh, the other things I want to say about this film uh it's, it's definitely worth watching and going to see it, but this film has some great cinematography, some great use of the camera here, uh, particularly, particularly like lighting or filters or whatever they use. It's very bleak, very dark, and I like these scenes that they do in some of these movies, and there's another example I'm going to talk about later on, where when the, uh, the violence is happening, they kind of zoom out and do this overhead look, like kind of overhead look of the violence. And uh, it's kind of like what uh, what astronaut said once: anything looks pretty harmless from space. So when there's very violent scenes of vampire running someone down and killing them, feeding on them, basically to live another day, it's kind of zoomed out. The sound is muted, or there is no sound at all in some of these scenes that you see in these films, and it makes it seem kind of distant and uh, remote, and kind of almost makes the violence sort of casual, kind of uh, disconnecting you from it. The same way that the vampires disconnected from it. Remember, they don't really have feelings about it. You're just food to them. So I think that's what they kind of try to do with that that camera angle and that type of cinematography, which they did very well in this film. It's kind of zoom out, put some distance between you and the violence to to form that disconnect, that uh, that empathy for what's happening. It almost just seems like a, you know. Like it's happening to someone else, <laughs> someone far away. It's sort of like the way we think of, you know, when we hear horrible things that are happening in some place, you know, halfway around the world, it, 
it, it's just human nature. I guess it doesn't affect us as much, even though it should. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just the way we're wired, I guess. So, uh, but that that cinematography method is definitely there in this film, but it's done really well. I love the bleak, dark look to this film because it's a very bleak and dark theme, even though it seems to sort of have a, a kind of not to spoil anything. It seems to kind of have a happy ending towards the end. From what you've seen through the whole rest of the movie, you know it's not really a happy ending. That somewhere 60 years down the line, this history of this vampire Abby is going to repeat itself with now Abby and Owen instead of Abby and the Richard Jenkins character. But this is a really good film. It's really well done. There's a lot of uh, long, sort of quiet scenes, but somehow yet it is not boring. And therefore, that's why I've given it a four out of five tombstones. You should probably watch this. <laughs> and I think it's uh, it's currently on a few services to watch for free. I can't remember which ones. You can look it up. I found I actually found a handy resource for this called uh, JustWatch.com. If you're wondering if you have to purchase something online or if some of the free streaming services have it, you can go to JustWatch.com and just kind of type in the movie and it'll tell you, oh, you can watch this on Netflix this month. You don't have to buy it. Or it'll tell you, it'll show you all the places where you can buy it, and you kind of easily see at a glimpse which one's the cheapest one. So, good resource for you there. <laughs> good resource for me as a podcaster, believe me. Uh, I don't know how many times in the past when I didn't have that resource, I'd be like, well, let me just go buy it on Amazon and find out it was free on HBO now that month. And I just screwed up. <laughs> but again, four out of five tombstones for this. Definitely watch it. It's worth watching. Uh, one of the better uh, vampire films of this uh, decade, let's see. So that's what I got to say about that. Uh, going on to 30 Days of Night. There's an older film, 2007 film, starring Josh Hartnett as Evan Olson, the sheriff of this uh, little town in Alaska. Uh, you probably know him from a ton of stuff. Josh Hartnett has been around forever. Uh, he's recently been in, as far as some genre, he's recently been in that TV series, Penny Dreadful, which I tried to get into because I believe it had Ava Green in it too. And I love Ava Green, but I think I watched one episode and didn't get into it. So <laughs> maybe I'll try to watch a little more of that and give a more in-depth review of Penny Dreadful one day. You also have Melissa George and here is his, uh, ex-wife, Stella Olson. Uh, this is the, <laughs> she's, she was, uh, the most, the only genre thing I could find that was pretty recent was this Amityville horror remake that she did with Ryan Reynolds and, uh, Melissa George, if you haven't seen her, she's incredibly beautiful. So this is the booty alert for the week, but it's totally wasted in this movie because she's in a snowsuit for the whole thing, Well, she's got a beautiful face. So check it out. <laughs> she's still, she's still very lovely. Uh, I think there were some hotter scenes of her in that Amityville Horror rem Remake, but that was a terrible film, so I don't know if it's worth watching it just for that. <laughs> Although I'll watch Miss Melissa George and anything. I also want to mention here, um, of course you got Danny Houston here playing the head vampire and a bunch of other vampires in here, but who I really wanted to mention is uh, Ben Foster playing the stranger. Ben Foster plays this character who's kind of the... the the human servant of the vampires that kind of goes in ahead of time to set things up for them for, and I'm going to go into this setup too. So I won't say too much there, 
But of course, you probably know Ben Foster. The, the biggest film I know of that he's been in is not a genre film. It's the remake of 310 to Yuma that he was in with uh, Christian Bale and some other people you'll know. But <laughs> but uh, 310 to Yuma was really good. And I, I think that's where I first noticed Ben Foster. And he is a very chameleon sort of actor that can kind of do any role you stick in front of him. He will, he will uh, shape himself into that role. And uh, I mentioned him kind of over the vampires because I just think he's a brilliant actor. I just think he's really awesome. And I hope to see him in some more genre stuff. Although I don't think I've seen him in anything lately. He was really hot for a while and he was like in every film. And uh, I think he's still doing films. It's just not stuff that I watch. <laughs> so hopefully he'll start popping up in some genre stuff again. And I'll start seeing Ben Foster again because I think he's a pretty uh, phenomenal actor. Again, this movie. Uh, like the last one is a really good example of the cinematography method of uh, communicating this kind of bleakness and futility. And uh, it kind of zooms out over the, when the, the violence is happening, zooms out, gives you this overhead view, almost like a, a top down video game view of the violence going on, which kind of does this emotional disconnect, just like it is for the vampires. They don't feel anything about it. But the setup of this story is that, it's this little town of, I think it's Barrow, Alaska. And it's one of those places in Alaska that once a year for about 30 days, the sun never really comes up all the way. It's kind of like dark, 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 and then a little bit of twilight and then dark, dark, dark. <laughs> so this is a perfect setup for vampires to come and feed. It's like a, it's like Thanksgiving for vampires, right? <laughs> they can come set up in town and just... No sunlight to kill them, no real uh, threats or predators around. Kind of isolated. No help is coming for the humans. They're they're left to their to their for their own devices for their own protection. So this is this is Thanksgiving for vampires, and that's what this vampire leader played by Danny Houston has decided. Like he kind of takes them around this sort of Arctic circle where this happens, uh, you know, once a year, and just chows down on a whole town. <laughs> that rhymed. <laughs> I'm a poet and you didn't know it. Chow down on the whole town. <laughs> so that's the setup of the story. And of course, like I said, the uh, the uh, character played by Ben Foster, his job kind of before the, the this final sunset for 30 days is to come in town and to you know, steal cell phones and destroy cell phones, destroy communications. Uh, you know, just in general, cause some havoc that's going to make it easier for the vampires to chow down on the whole town. <laughs> that's his job. And he's kind of doing this in the hopes that one day the uh, vampire leader will look on him with favor and turn him into one of them. So he's kind of getting this obsession where if I do these guys enough favors, I'll be able to become a vampire and become immortal too. But big surprise, sort of like the theme of the rest of these shows. They're just using him, and once he outlives his usefulness, they'll discard him just like any other human. He's not really one of them. They have no intention of making him one of them. They're just using him for as long as he's useful. Uh, <laughs> this is probably one of the best examples I can think of, and you see every variation of vampires throughout vampire films and vampire fiction. 
you get the more human ones, the more kind of kind and emotional ones and mm-hmm. develop a relationship with humans and other, you know, whatever is in the story. But this is probably some of the most inhuman vampires in recent cinema. They are pretty much monsters. They do very little to disguise and maybe are not even able to disguise really what they are. And uh, so uh, it's kind of that it's very terrifying monster type vampires. They're probably the least human of uh, the examples I have in these films and in a lot of other recent films. Of course, you got like the Twilight films that were really popular. I wasn't into that. Well, they're very human and form relationships with humans. These are the other end of that spectrum. They are not human. They are monsters. They are strictly there to chow down on the whole town. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying that until y'all get tired of hearing it. And I'm going to say it once more. <laughs> but uh, this was a good film. I enjoyed this film. It's very bleak. It's very dark. Of course, the lighting and the filters they use kind of are, are used to emphasize that. And I'll warn you, I won't spoil it, but it's got a very dark and depressing and bleak ending, which you kind of watch at the end. It's like, oh, my God, that's depressing. Uh, but, but nonetheless, uh, this is a very good vampire film. It was I think it was based on a graphic novel. And so it's it's uh, it's it's turned out really well. I'm not I haven't read the graphic novel, so I don't know how true it is to it or all that. But it's a good film. And that is why I have given it a four out of five tombstones. I like this film. So definitely worth watching. I'm not sure if it's free on any streaming service out there. I bought it a long time on Amazon, so I have it in my library. But uh, it's definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen it yet. And I don't know, maybe one day I'll check out the graphic novel and I'll review that. But that's what I have to say about that one. (laughs) So that's my final film for the vampire theme. I want to talk about this film, Family Blood. This is one of those, again, that just kind of popped up on my Netflix recommendations. Like, hey, you might like this. And I kind of read a few other, not really reviews, but I kind of looked at ratings of it. And was like, oh, it's pretty highly rated. I, I might like this. And I went and checked it out. It's a 2018 film starring Vanessa Shaw as Ellie. I saw her in the film and I was like, where do I know her from? I know her from somewhere. She was in that uh, that first The Hills Have Eyes remake as one of the main characters. So that's probably where I first recognized her from. But she was also in 310 to Yuma. <laughs> Coincidence, right? Ben Foster was in 310 to Yuma. Here's Vanessa Shaw. Uh, also a very beautiful lady. And uh, gets covered in blood quite a bit in this film. <laughs> uh, this film also has one of my other favorite newer actors i wouldn't even say up and coming because he's been around for a few years now that i've seen uh but he is one of my favorite kind of newer actors james ransoni i'm assuming i'm pronouncing that correct i want to say james ransoni but he plays the vampire in this this guy named christopher and i think i first started seeing james ransoni in uh the sinister film and then he was in he was in sinister he was the uh deputy so-and-so that was helping uh, Ethan Hawke's character. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was helping Ethan Hawke's character in Sinister 1. He came back in Sinister 2 as the main character, still Deputy So-and-so, but they got, you know, of course, the Ethan Hawke character. If you haven't seen it yet, I'm going to spoil this for you now. He bit it in the first one. So uh, Deputy So-and-so became the main character in the second one. And he caught my attention in that film. I've seen him in a few other films since. And sort of like the Ben Foster, I really love James Ransoni. 
Uh, I think he's also one of these chameleon actors that can kind of just be whatever you need him to be. He's very different in this film than anything I've seen him in. And I want to see him in some more genre stuff. I think he's been in a ton of other stuff, too. Uh, I think his, 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 uh, his mojo is strong right now. His kung fu is high. <laughs> so, But hopefully we'll start seeing him in some more genre things. Because I really do like James Ransoni. Although you'll see as we go along in this in this review of this film that this wasn't one of my favorite films that he was in, although he's great in it still. Uh, this movie had kind of an interesting premise and a different sort of vampire. It stuck to some of the traditional vampire lore, but not all of it. In fact, there is a scene when uh, the young boy in the film realizes they're dealing with a vampire. He's looked up stuff online. And the vampire kind of grabs the list from him and starts looking at it and goes like, nope, 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 yes, nope, yes, no, nope, nope. Like, <laughs> and that's pretty accurate. Like, it sticks to some sticks to some traditional things, but not all of it. But one of the things I found interesting is the lack of vampire teeth. What seems to happen with the vampires in this world where this story takes place is that their teeth eventually kind of look nasty and kind of rotted away. And he wears a set of false teeth to cover it up. But when he's ready to feed, he takes them out and uh, chomps down on people. <laughs> so I thought that was an interesting, interesting take. Uh, I think I, I read an article recently about all these meal replacement shakes like like Huel and, and uh, uh, Soylent and all that. That uh, One of the things that humans need is to be able to chew food. That chewing food actually helps strengthen your teeth and that if you go to a strictly liquid diet that eventually your teeth will rot away so maybe that's <laughs> where they got that idea from i don't know you, you need the action of chewing to toughen the gums and the teeth and all that something about that i'm not a doctor but <laughs> or a dentist so but i just remember reading an article about that like he will and those things are good and i've even tried stuff like that myself but uh ultimately you also do need some solid food for your teeth health so dental tip look at that it's another service i offer on the ogd pirate ship healthy uh, uh dental tips <laughs> did i get sidetracked i think i just got sidetracked so anyway the setup of this story is kind of interesting as a kind of an interesting premise is this mom of two uh recently divorced or whatever She's an addict to some type of opioid. Again, it's kind of tapping into that current uh, fear of the opioid crisis. And you kind of get the idea. She's like one of these people. She's not like just some street junkie or whatever. She's a, she was a normal housewife with kids who had a back surgery and then got on pain pills and then got hooked on the pain pills. And then once the pharmacy takes the pain pills away, you're now you, now you need something else. So she's become an addict. And you get the impression, the interaction between her and her children, that she's struggled with it, that she's, you know, quit them and going back to doing them and quit them again, constantly bouncing back and forth, like a lot of those people do, unfortunately. And so, like, the older son is starting to kind of lose patience with her, like, you always say, this is the last time. Uh, the daughter's younger, and she's still kind of, you know, like, you know, more... Uh, you know, uh, thinking of mom as uh, infallible, I guess you could say. <laughs> but basically, they've moved to this uh, this town. She's going to rehab. She's going to these 
uh, addicts anonymous meetings at night, and she meets the vampire there. And you get the idea that James Ransoni playing this this vampire named Christopher, that this is his thing. He goes on pra- and preys on people in rehab. Um, and for some reason, he latches onto her, onto this uh, Ellie character, and decides he likes her. He wants her to be his companion, wants her to be a vampire, and actually um, starts the process of turning her and training her as a fledgling vampire. Now, what I'll say negative about the story, about this setup, is there's really not much explanation given. There's no kind of build up to this. There's no like he meets her and starts talking to her and then kind of falls in love or whatever. No, it's all very sudden. Uh, part of that's probably the uh, length of this movie, which I said that before about some of those like slasher flicks and stuff like that. Sometimes limited budget means 90 minute runtime strictly and there's not much time for character development. But this movie uh, seems to move uh, very fast without much justification for the things that happen. He just decides this is the woman he wants. And again, that might kind of go with the theme, though. Like, uh, not really interested in her person, just how can I use her? <laughs> you know, it, it could have been anybody else in the meeting. He just latched onto her and I will use this person for for my fulfillment or whatever. So, so that's the kind of negative I have to say about it. What I will say about the story is there's this very interesting metaphor in it for uh, trading one addiction for another. She's this opioid addict. And while this guy taking her in and turning her into a vampire cures her of that addiction because she literally cannot eat food or take the drugs anymore, now she's got this new addiction to blood. <laughs> and she's traded in this one addiction for another. And it turns out in this case, it's a it's a much worse addiction because you got to go kill people, and that sucks, and it's illegal, you know. So uh, trading is not always good. Uh, this is something I know about. This is uh, if you guys don't know, I'll open up a little bit. I had a I had a, a severe I guess I'd say problem with alcohol at one time, and um, I eventually traded it for another addiction, which was working out and going to the gym. Now that's a case of trading something bad for something healthy. But in some cases, people go the opposite way. They might trade that for doing something worse. You know, it could be anything. Uh, you know, it could be trading that for sex addiction where you ruin your, your marriage. Trading that in for, uh, like like this lady, for a hard drug addiction or whatever. But it is possible to go the other way. But this, this movie took an interesting take on that. I, I picked up on it right away, I guess, because I, I know about these things. Uh, but, you know, it's an interesting metaphor. That being said, the story development was not really there. I mean, there was a little bit character development between her and the kids. Really not much between her and the vampire. And the ending, I will say, is kind of lame. I won't spoil it for you just in case you want to watch it. Uh, but the ending was was kind of lame. And so that's why I gave this one a... I gave it some points for the originality and kind of that theme in it. So I, instead of giving it two, I gave it three out of five tombstones. So I'd say it's, you know, it's entertaining. It keeps moving. It's not super, you know, slow or anything. And that might be part of its problem that it moves a little too fast. But it's entertaining. I mean, you can watch it. It's on Netflix right now. So if you got Netflix, 
you already paid for it. So it's worth watching. It's a pretty decent vampire flick. Like I said, some interesting themes in there. So moving right along, <laughs> writing tips. Writing tips actually have a little bit to do with last episode, with episode seven. I was talking about this remake that's coming up of Pet Cemetery. If you remember, uh, one of the things that bothered me about the trailers, and I'm not even sure, I just got a little bit of info from the trailers. They didn't show enough to really know, but it almost kind of looked like they were going to skip the idea that the, uh, the the grounds, the burial grounds that actually had the power to, to bring the dead back to life, so to speak. Uh, not really, but sort of bring the dead back to life was far beyond the pet cemetery. They had to cross over that deadfall that was in the corner of the pet cemetery and walk a trek a really long way to go out to this Micmac burial ground, bury the dead pet or human, as the case may be. And uh, what bothered me was it seemed like they were trying to make it like the actual pet cemetery had the power and not the Micmac burial ground that was uh, on the other side of that deadfall and then a long trek beyond that. And I, I said I didn't really know, and it's not like like maybe it made it less mysterious or, or magical or whatever. But when I really thought about it over the last week or so, uh, what it removes from me is the foreshadowing. This is an example of very subtle foreshadowing, and that's my writing tip stuff for today is about foreshadowing. Foreshadowing can be very overt and in your face, or it can be very subtle like this, but I picked up on it right away. And that's really what would bother me about them removing the idea of having to cross over the deadfall and go on this long trek. In the very beginning of the original movie, and hopefully they'll do it in this one, when the neighbor Judd Crandall is shown in the pet cemetery, uh, Lewis Creed notices the deadfall, all these dead trees kind of stacked up in the corner. And he asks Judd about it, and Judd's like, oh, that's a conversation for another time. I'll tell you about that later. And later on, he does tell him about it. And, of course, you know, they're having to cross over it to get on this trail to go up to the uh, Micmac burial ground. And even the ghost of uh, that other character, the, the biker character, Pascal, I think his name was, uh, tells him in his dream, you know, the barrier is not meant to be crossed. So that's kind of part of the foreshadowing. Like, there's the obvious physical barrier. And he's also talking a metaphorical barrier about, you know, not going to do something wrong and trying to bring the dead back to life. Uh, but also that very physical barrier of the deadfall. So when the cat church dies and uh, Judd Crandall tells him, says, I have another way. You know, we can go up and bury this thing here. He doesn't really explain it. Like, he's like, I got my reasons. Just follow me. Well, he leads Judd, uh, he leads Lewis Creed to the pet cemetery and says, We just have to cross over this deadfall here. And Lewis looks at it like, You can't cross that. You'll, you'll, you'll fall and kill yourself. He goes, Oh, no. Judd's like, I, Oh, no. I've done this many times. It's safe. Just, just keep moving and don't look down. I know all the places to step. It's fine. And Judd crosses over, and then Lewis tries to follow. And of course, it's a deadfall. It could have changed since the last time Judd crossed it. And of course, Lewis steps on a branch that's rotted or weak or whatever, breaks through and falls through a deadfall and nearly kills himself. He survives. But this is major, major, subtle uh, 
foreshadowing that maybe Judd is not someone you should be listening to. It's not that he's a bad person. In fact, he's got good intentions. He wants to try and save Lewis the pain of having to explain to his daughter that the cat died while they were on vacation. So he's got good intentions. The road to hell paved with them and all that. Uh, but maybe he's not the best guide on what to do. I mean, he's. this is actually the first sign that Judd is leading him wrong. And again, like this has tremendous consequences for Lewis and his family later on when the temptation comes up later on when Moore's when there's more at stake. So again, first sign. Oh, it's fine. Follow me. Just, you know, follow my step. Don't look down. But he still almost falls through and dies. So that was the first sign. There's a few more signs in that novel and that movie where Lewis should have been like, oh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be listening to this old guy. You know, he's leading me wrong. But uh, of course, that's not the course of the story, <laughs> as you know. So I just wanted to get back to that one. Uh, that, that was why that one uh, bothered me. If they eliminate that, they'll eliminate a major piece of foreshadowing. And like I said, most of these horror stories have to have some type of warning. There's a warning, and for whatever reason, just because, like, oh, this is Judd, and he knows the area, and he's you know seems really nice, uh, I'll listen to him. It can be for a lot of different reasons, but the character, for some reason, does not heed the warning. This is all throughout horror, you'll see it in almost every film and every novel. So if they eliminate that deadfall, that barrier that is not to be crossed, and the idea that Judd might be leading him wrong right from the beginning, it removes a good major part of the, uh, the, the story or the theme of the story to me. So hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully the information I'm kind of gleaning from these little glimpses of the trailer is wrong. But time will tell. I think that one's not coming out till April. So... <laughs> So that's my writing tip there is that foreshadowing doesn't always have to be super in your face or overt. It can be very subtle like that, where readers that are familiar with it will be like, oh, foreshadowing, you know, kind of give them that, like I said, that aha moment. Readers love to get an aha moment. And uh, that's that's one of the ways to deliver it. So I just wanted to share that with you that I thought further on that one and wanted to come back to it. <laughs> so. I'm pretty much on time with that. I'm trying to do these main episodes like 45 minutes. So right there is if this was a regular episode. But like I said, I'm going to go a little bit more, a little bit longer and talk about my picks for horrors for, for horror movies from October of last year to October of this year. And uh, I have five of them picked out for you. Uh, I can tell you from looking at it, critics agree with me on some of these and some of them not so much. But I'm the captain here, so this is my list. <laughs> so here it is. My best movies of the year from October 2017 to October 2018 for Halloween special here. Happy Halloween, everybody. First movie on the list, Hellfest. Here's one that critics didn't agree with me on. I reviewed this on an earlier episode. You can go check that out to see more in depth. But if you like slasher fix, flicks, and that's kind of, I tried to do a few different categories here, some good examples. If you like slasher flicks, this is a prime example of a good one, and you should probably go see it. If you're not into slasher flicks, you won't like it, and you'll be like these critics giving it 40% rating. But if you like slasher flicks, this is not a lame, stupid one, actually. It's actually pretty well done, and uh, so that's why it made my list today. 
Other one is a Netflix original film, which I also talked about on one of the really earlier episodes this year, called The Babysitter. Uh, Babysitter, again, critics, some people may not agree with me on this one, but I thought it was very fun. It was very camp, you know, campy fun. And uh, it's this is a good example, as I said in the original review, that you can go and check out. This is horror comedy that works. There's a lot of great stuff in this film. The interaction between uh, Cole, I think his name was, and the babysitter, and the little neighbor girl next door. I thought it was a really well-done film. So uh, another one for you to check out. That's what made my list. Number four. Number three, Delirium, which I just reviewed a couple weeks ago, I think. So Delirium, Topher Grace, uh, a few other good uh, actors in there. This uh, definitely surprised me. It was a very good one on Netflix. Uh, it's a great story with some great twists in it that I think you'll enjoy, and also some really great acting. Topher Grace is actually a really good actor, and uh, everybody else in this did an excellent job in, in it, too. So definitely made my list as number three. Uh, number four, actually just finally, I mean, number two, sorry. I just finally got around to watching recently. Everybody kept telling me how great it was, and I just I just kept putting it off, putting it off. And I actually went and watched it this week because it was... I knew it had the potential to be on my list, honestly. And it's called A Quiet Place, John Krasinski film. I think he wrote and directed and starred in it. Like, he did everything on this one. And this one kind of launched him. I mean, he was known before, but this one kind of really launched him to a whole other level. In fact, he's in that Jack Ryan series on Amazon. It's pretty good. He's really ripped. If you like uh, Booty alert for the ladies there. If you want to see a ripped, muscular John Krasinski, go watch that Jack Ryan <laughs> series on Amazon. That dude got in shape, man. And uh, this a Quiet Place, I definitely liked it. It seemed like going into it, like it a movie where nobody can talk and long, silent scenes. What kind of Stanley Kubrick-esque thing have I walked into? Am I going to be bored to the whole thing? No, I wasn't bored. It is very quiet, <laughs> as the name implies. But this is a very different sort of horror uh, apocalypse film. And it's pretty much great, like I always say, because John Krasinski made it about the characters and not the monsters. And I'm not spoiling anything there. You go see the monsters, or at least one of the monsters, before the credits even start rolling in the beginning. So uh, it's, again, anytime you do something with Apocalypse, whether it's natural disaster, or space disaster, or in this case, like monsters or zombies or whatever... If you make it about the monsters, it's going to be a, a shit film. It just will be. If you make it about the characters like this one, it's going to be good. This is a great film by John Krasinski. That's why it made number two on my list. Number one, I talked about recently also, Hereditary with Tony Collette. Uh, again, if you have not seen this, you, you simply just got to see it. It Just like Get Out. Last year in 2017 was unlike anything you had seen before. This is unlike anything you've seen this year, for sure. And it's going to shock you. It's going to surprise you. And sometimes it will flat out slap you in the face. <laughs> it's a really good film. And that's why I put it at number one. You can go back and check out the more in-depth review on the earlier episode. Really good film. Watch it uh, as soon as you can. <laughs> <laughs> that's my recommendation. So anyway, I thought this episode was going to run long, but we're, we're pretty much right on time. So that's it. That's my vampire episode. 
This is my uh, Halloween Day episode, giving you my best of the year. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed talking to you guys again. Uh, back to our regular format next Sunday. And I'm going to be talking about Venom and Halloween and the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. That'll be a different sort of film for me to talk about. Check out our website, orbitalzombiedragon.com. You can listen to our full episodes there. Our Facebook page, Instagram, we're also there. Also, if you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes or anywhere you listen to us. For now, it's time for us to drop out of low Earth orbit. Go back on another galactic adventure. Dragana, take us out.